Petersfield's Shine Radio. Hello, I'm Claire Venice. And I'm Geoff Lacey. Our holes are nearly over. As we go back to nature in this week's Peapod. If you love Petersfield... I love the square. The hangers. The open-air swimming pool. Lots of fun shops. Then the Peapod loves you. It's just a nice town. Everything Petersfield is in the Peapod with Claire Venice and Geoff Lacey. Thank you for joining us in the Peapod. This is the last of our summer Peapods as our August holiday draws to an end. This week we bring you a nature podcast as we remember the Pollinator Day and the Eco Fair, as well as a trip to Durley Marsh Farm. Susie goes for a wild walk in Berriton in June after the rain and our bloopers are back again. There's a whole folder full for your enjoyment. We end the Peapod with music from local choir, SOS from the Kids, and their recent single, Roots. The P stands for Petersfield. It's a lovely area, lovely people, lovely atmosphere. The Peapod. It's the perfect time of year to be talking about helping our pollinator friends. And we're thrilled to be at the Petersfield and District Beekeeping Association's first ever pollinating day. And who better to speak to first but the person who was instrumental in coming up with the idea in the first place, Elizabeth Everly. Welcome to the Peapod. Thank you very much. Now, tell us all about the Pollinator Day. Well, the Pollinator Day was... We decided to run it so that it was a way to explain about the huge variety of pollinators there are in Britain. The fact that there... There are 270 different varieties of bees in Britain alone, of which only one of them makes honey. So we worry about the honeybee, we look after the honeybee, but there are 24 different varieties of bumblebees and the rest of them, 240 or whatever it is, of solitary bumblebees. And there's nobody that looks after them. So therefore, we would like to encourage you all to do what you can to help look after the other bees as well as the honeybee. Now, I didn't know there was 24 bumblebees. Are they easy to distinguish? A lot of all of these bees are yellow and black stripy things. But the yellow and black stripy bits vary. And while you can have the white-tailed bumblebee and the buff-tailed bumblebee, there's the red-tailed bumblebee. But they're all variations on a theme, mainly because they're all trying to pretend that they're terribly fierce and that you want to avoid eating them. Now, I love bumblebees, and they're one of the first bees that I see in my garden when spring turns up. I just love them. They're just really friendly. Um, But what can we do to help the other bees? Well, to help all the bees, it comes down to forage. They all need food. So for all of the pollinators, the best thing you can do is flowers. They need masses of flowers. And that's the best way for you to encourage them into your garden so that you can actually see them and appreciate them. But they also need places to live. So the the bumblebee that you see first thing in the spring is the queen bumblebee. She's much bigger than all the rest of them. She's the only one that's overwintered. And she will be out looking for a home. Different bumblebees live in different places. So some live in the ground, some live in trees, some live in mouse houses. A mouse hole is the best place for a bumblebee because somebody else has dug the hole and filled it with nice bedding material. So they're always looking for mouse houses. Or nest boxes. There is a tree bumblebee that absolutely loves a nest box. So you put up the nest box for the blue tit. The first year it's used by the blue tit. The next year it's used by a bumblebee. And so the queen starts the year by looking for a place to live. She's then got to lay the first eggs, um, 
feed herself and create have the food for her young and then it's later on in the year that you see more bees because they're the workers that have hatched out to um, go and collect more and more forage to look after the hive that will the nest that will become bigger by about July time the the next queens will be hatching out and mating with the drones and then that bumblebee nest will die out it's only the the queen that will survive through to the next year and she'll only survive for one year so if you see that you've got a bumblebee nest next to the the garage underneath the shed don't worry about it because it's only going to be there for a couple of months and you probably will only notice it for one month because when it's quiet you won't see them and you'll only see them at the time when they're busiest and they'll be gone within a month after that so I'm asking for you all to appreciate just how exciting they are, how interesting they are, and just let them be. (laughs) (laughs) And what are you actually showing visitors today? Right, so we've got lots of display boards um, and information leaflets, things to take away. So there's information to take away. There's people that will be only desperate to talk to you, so to tell you things. We've got the observation hive, so there's honeybees to look at so that you can actually see what it looks like inside a honeybee hive. But we can't show you what it looks like inside a bumblebee nest because they're only the size of a tennis ball and you can't move them because they're so fragile. So uh, we're we're showing honeybees, we're beekeepers, so I'm afraid we're somewhat biased. Um, (laughs) But so we've got honeybees for you to look at, information about bumblebees and examples of bee hotels for the solitary bees of which there are so many and we've got information about butterflies moths um, any of the pollinators and I'm really hoping that people will come along ask questions and find out and know more about the lifestyle of a bumblebee but also the lifestyle of the wasp who is also a very good pollinator and a vital garden helper up until about August when they decide to eat your picnic. But before then, you never see them because they're too busy eating all the aphids and caterpillars. So (laughs) I just want people to know more about the diversity. The world needs people to worry about things, sort of thing, to think about things with, with the way the world is going, the insect Armageddon, as they're talking about it. The numbers of bees and butterflies and moths, etc., are dropping dramatically. I'm old enough to remember when if you left the the window open on an evening, you'd get moths in the house. I haven't had a moth in the house for a very long time, which is sad because the bats eat them, and I get rather excited about bats as well. You need to have everything. It's an ecosystem. If you want something to eat the aphids on your um, roses or to eat the sawfly on your gooseberries, you've got to have things that eat them that are then eaten by the birds and the bats and the other things we get excited about we need insects so we need to understand more about how to look after them which you find out the more you know about bees butterflies moths etc and you mentioned flowers are there any particular flowers that we could all as individuals plant and and grow in our in our gardens with there being so many different varieties of bees there's a bee for every flower there's a flower for every bee so there's bees are most bees are short-tongued bees so therefore they like open flowers so open simple flowers so if you think of a of a sunflower you've got the big flat area which is where you'll see the bees because that's where they can get the pollen and the nectar they like 
your daisy, your nasturtium, the, 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 the simpler flowers. They don't, so they like flat dahlias. Dahlias they absolutely love if you've got the ones that are sort of flat like daisies. But the ones that are big pom-poms, if you can't see the stamens and the pollen, neither can the bee. <laughs> they love everything. They're very keen on flat on trees. So your apple trees, your pear trees have been covered with them. They're like shrubs. There's um there's the um pyracantha horizontalis absolutely covered at the moment because again it's simple flowers. Simple flowers are what they want and the more the better. Now if you haven't got a big garden and you want to do your bit, is there any other type of I've, I've heard about sugar solutions you can leave out and that type of thing. Is, is that something we can do? That's not so good right. because it's, um, it's actually a bit like thinking about your own diet. So the, um, the flower is providing them the nectar which is full of um, extra um, minerals and um, all the bits, the complicated bits that they need, a complex carbohydrate. The pollen is full of, it's like the protein. They need that. Now, you as a human being could live just on sugar you'd become very sick very ill but you could you wouldn't die you wouldn't starve but you'd be ill it's much better to provide them with a plant to have say a a pot of thyme herbs are excellent because they have flowers that the bees really love they love thyme marjoram mint all those ones and so do I so you've got and there are also things like the mint moth that really likes um, mint because it eats, the caterpillars eat it and the birds spend their time picking around eating all the caterpillars so you're helping everything but herbs are really good so just having a small um, pot window box with herbs on will improve your own dinner as well as the bees so win round all round <laughs> oh, Good information good to say. So a couple of pots of say mint and some thyme away you go Exactly Elizabeth, it's been absolutely fascinating talking to you. We could probably go on for another 10, 20 minutes, couldn't we, finding out more about this. Can people find out more information on your website? There are links on the website. There's also um, the Facebook, the Petersfield Beekeepers District, in whichever order. Uh, Facebook page you'll find very easily. I put in Petersfield Bees and you'll get to us. Um, So there's the facebook and the website and we also go to various shows so you'll as you go around the various events you'll find us we're going to be next weekend we're in fernhurst we go to various school events we're there we we do like talking about bees probably escaping not talking about bees is the challenge (laughs) (laughs) well thank you very much thank you (laughs) we're big supporters of both refill and replenish and juniper the two refill shops in town But Joff got the wrong end of the stick, or should that be bottle, in this blooper. Peapod bloopers. A new national campaign was launched on the 1st of January called Just One Bottle. (laughs) The aim? To reduce plastic waste by encouraging each of us to refill just one bottle. And with this small change together, we can all fight against climate change. We're lucky in Peatsall to have two independent refill shops, Refill and Replenish and Juniper. Shine Radio's Stephen Martin took one bottle to Juniper, where co-owner Victoria Primrose explained how the refill process works. Well done. I thought that was to do with dry January. Just the one bottle. (laughs) (laughs) Giggling. (laughs) Susie's wild walk on June the 12th is a wet one in Bereton, and she hopes to dodge the showers as she talks about the recent Platinum Jubilee celebrations. 
Well, I was due to go to Bosnum today. So I was all set. I prepared my photographs, my itinerary. I thought it would make a nice change. But it is so showery and like, you know, really heavy thunderstorms. I decided I'd just turn sharp left and we're at Bereton. So if I sound slightly out of breath, it's because I'm making the most of a bit of sunshine and I'm doing that first really long climb up from the car park at Kiln Lane. Rain hates it, don't you? All my dogs have hated this bit because it's quite sharp and gravelly under their paws at this stage. Oh, and there is an immensely black cloud ahead. So I think very shortly I'm not going to be able to record anything very much. I've got to say it's not the most attractive because people obviously let their dogs out. They then come up here through a quick poo with the owner marching ahead. So we've sort of got a guard of honour of unpleasantness. So anyway, it's the week after the Jubilee celebrations. I hope whatever you did wasn't marred by the weather. Uh, we managed a, a wonderful street party in Sheet. Not as brilliant as it might have been with sunshine, but at least it didn't rain until much, much later. My favourite thing that they had at the wreck afterwards was the human fruit machine where three of our illustrious village members, all men, uh, were in drag and pulling real fruit out of plastic bags to raise money. So it was a bit weird having a sort of... Well, there was even an aubergine, but we'll pass swiftly over that. But there were, you know, real lemons, oranges, bananas and so on produced. And it was so funny. And they looked so utterly hideous, dressed as women. It was very much a Les Dawson moment where you expected the bosom to be sort of shuffled. This is my little tribute to 70 years of noble sacrifice, duty, integrity and honesty. Well done, HRH. And I think all in all... We need to stop divisions. There's been too much in our society recently. Yes. And what helps me is coming out here and, and looking across. At, there's just some random deer. There's a blackbird in a tree. The deer are in... There's a sort of valley that I'm looking across now. You can hear that I've stopped climbing briefly. There are gulls wheeling whitely against the stand of trees opposite. And if I look that way, there are wonderful fluffy white clouds. Whilst looming ahead is a really deep grey sky <laughs> making the, the grasses and the, and, and the new leaves acid green. Oh, can you hear? It's just starting to rain. Well, 
Well, that was hilarious. I don't know if you can hear, but I'm I'm still going uphill, not the same place. We cowered under a tree for a while and then I could see it was sort of set in for the afternoon. So I'm now tramping through a little streamlet that's formed on every normal path. My jeans, why did I wear jeans? They're hopeless at sea or country walks when it's raining. Um, I'm wet through to my knickers, which might be too much information, but is hilarious for all concerned except me. Um, Under the barn where there are barbecues in what we British like to call summer, uh, there are a whole load of French students. Why do I know that? Because they were sort of looking glum and let's say they were saying sacre bleu. Words to that effect anyway. Um, It was certainly bleu. Um, Rain got in amongst them looking for an egg sandwich, so that was actually quite sweet. And luckily, they like dogs. So one of us was happy, weren't we? And now she's completely soaked and looking like a little black beaver. Look at you with your otter tail. But very sweet. And on we go. And we stride purposefully into what's left of June. And please, may it start flaming soon. Coming up, we head to Durley Marsh Farm and the Eco Fair. But first... Peapod bloopers. There's a new episode of The Drinking Programme now available to listen to. In this monthly celebration of all things quaffable... Quaffable? Those passport There's a new episode of The Drinking Programme now... The P stands for Petersfield. Petersfield is special to me. The Peapod. Now, it was a windy day down on the farm at Durley Marsh when Claire met with Paul Abbott. But they battled through the hubbub and banging of doors. With the farm shop stocked, seedlings sprouting and asparagus on the way, there's a lot going on, as Paul explains, including a new online planting series with his young son called Arthur, encouraging children and families to grow together. Hi Paul, it's great to be back at Durley Marsh Farm and it's April, busy growing season. What have you got coming up at the farm this year? Hi Claire, good to see you back here again. As you can see, we always pick days when we've got bad weather conditions, hence we're now inside. Last time God above was giving us thunderstorms and today we've got heavy winds, so either it's you got bad luck or me, I don't know. I'm sorry. But <laughs> growing season, well here at Durley we're madly um, starting to do most of the propagating and also plant a few things in the field. So we've got things like broad beans, which are on our second sowing, some early carrots, beetroot, and we'll be planting on every week now, right through the spring season. So yeah, yeah, we're quite busy. We prepare everything for the growing season, for the strawberries, so it never stops here. Winter can be quiet on the outside, but on the inside of Durley Marsh, we're pretty uh, pretty busy full-time all year round. And do you have anything new for this year? I know last year when we came up to record a pea pod with you, you were talking about the strawberries, which are now raised up off the ground. Is that continuing, obviously, this year? And is there anything new? We're trying to always look for something new here. We're going to do a big cut flower section. People cut their own flowers. We hope to try to have a lady in to join us to show how to arrange the flowers, so that would be quite fun. We're, we're still continuing with new ideas in regards to strawberry propagation, so we're doing raised beds, but we're also trying to keep the chemical side of spraying off weeds and that to a minimum, so we're actually planting on raised beds in the ground and covered with a, a matting, so again we get less weeds, etc, etc. Uh, so we're always trying to push forward with new ideas. The hardest part of any farming, you're relying on the weather, and 
for example, last year we had a poor year purely because the, we had a late frost and it wiped out 60% of our fruit because, you know, again, these things happen, it's out of our control and uh, you do struggle with it. And today it is really blowing a gale out there, isn't it? Blowing an absolute hoolie. But no, we, we'll march on, we'll march on, we, we keep on going. That's what us farmers do. So how did you start off growing? What's your background? Well, I was lucky. I, I grew up on the Darling Buds of May factory. I had the most wonderful, wonderful grandparents that uh, anyone could ever meet. And they taught me a lot about life, like I am with Arthur at the moment. I think when you're young, you just soak up experiences knowledge without even learning. It's a marvellous time. And I remember going in the greenhouse with my grandfather, who was a, an amazing gardener anyway, and he'd say, don't pick that tomato, do pick that tomato, and, you know, taste that tomato. What do you think of that? And so, yeah, my background, I was very, very lucky. You know, we worked hard, typical farmer, you work seven days a week, but man, I wish I could step back in time now. Well, you mentioned Arthur, yeah. and he's your son. He is. And you're encouraging him to grow as well. Yeah, yeah. I've got children in my first marriage and they've all grown up, beautiful as they are, and I'm going to be a grandfather this year. But yeah, my little boy, Arthur, he was amazing. We're doing a little uh, Instagram, growing with dad and son, because it's just a passion of mine to see children get into it. It's, it's something that children enjoy, it's something that parents enjoy, and it's something that the parents also learn as they go along as well. It's a great thing. You know, you get your hands dirty, and you do things together. Isn't it much better than looking at a phone all day? Absolutely. And how old's Arthur? Well, he's four, going on 14. Yeah. So you started growing some veg with Arthur. I mean, you're in the ideal spot. You can't avoid the fact that you're surrounded by vegetables and flowers growing. What things have you started off? Well, we started a little, little bit. We were growing some Florence fennel. We're trying to incorporate a lot of new things into the actual farm shop as well. And Florence fennel is one of the vegetables that we, we see becoming more popular nowadays. So me and Arthur were doing some basic things like planting Florence fennel, something that grows and comes out quick. We planted some broad beans, again another thing that you can plant very quickly and see results very quickly. I can remember when I was a little kiddie, about 10, having a first spade and fork and having a little bit of garden for myself. And my mum, because she was very wise, thought I'd buy him some radish. Right. Now, anyone can grow radish, but in my day, I thought I was being amazing. So I can remember growing French breakfast, long white icicle, and scarlet globe. I can remember still to this day. And you saw results very quickly, and that's exciting as a kid. You're not waiting and going, oh, what's happening? So if you can involve your children into growing something that has got quick results, fantastic. It's the same like getting involved in growing a sunflower. So this is what we're going to move on to. We'll be doing flowers as well. And they can measure them. They can see how it's growing. They, can, you know, they know they planted it. And it's all sort of fun. So, yeah, that's the way forward, I think. And, and how can people watch these little Instagram videos that you're doing? Well, just follow us on Dirty Marsh Farm. And we hope to just do a open couple of hours for families and their children to come and join us. We're getting a really great lot of interest in that. So keep following us, and then when we've got an open day, we'll do a day's events for the, the kids and parents, and hopefully, you know, it'll inspire some people to go on and be the next Chelsea gold medalist. I mean, I still get excited by seeing a polytunnel. <laughs> <laughs> We're a sad bunch, aren't we? I know. You know what I mean? The possibilities are endless, aren't they? Really? Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, you can grow, even grow your new potatoes at Christmas time in a polytunnel. It's the same as anything else. It's, it's how you manage anywhere. Uh, it's basic things, but again, on, on the programme we'll be doing, we'll be going through some of these basic things just to make your growing much more easier and get the best results. How are things at the farm shop here? Well, it's been a tough year, Claire, to be fair. We're in a climate that is very uncertain. You know, we've got to remember, and I hope the public are aware, that farm shops, not just ourselves, but farm shops, farmers, and all that in general, are going to have a tough time. 
we've struggled this year. We've just had a bad year. I don't know whether it was a, the end of season, COVID, whatever you might call it, but the nature of the beast is it's been really tough. Now, we can understand that people and families have got to tighten their budgets a little bit. Not only the fuel costs going up, but veg prices are going up. Running costs for things to go on the soil, fertilisers doubled, trebled even, and you try to offset your costs. We can only do so much with our margins, even though we are working hard to keep our margins as low as possible. But we're not like supermarkets. We haven't got the monopoly and we can't govern what we're going to pay for it. But we supported a lot, of, not just ourselves, but again other farmers and farm shops and that was supporting a lot of people when the COVID crisis was going on and we put ourselves out there we hope that people will keep supporting the local economy. It's very important because to see them go is going to be a big hole because you've got a shop that can offer unusual items, you've got fresh produce coming in where it can, you've got very good seasonal produce coming in when it can and you've got a really good camaraderie between staff and customers which you don't get. It's, it's more family-like when you walk in the door. So please support the local farm shops. And you've got, of course, the pick-your-own farm as well. Is it a bit early yet for asparagus, or is that, that coming up? Well, you see, we've got a competition going, Claire, and I know you're trying to sort of wheedle it out of me what, um, what the date will be so that you can put in a late entry and win it. <laughs> but um, <laughs> all I can say at the moment, I know for a fact that uh, last week uh, some work was being done on the asparagus fields, and there was no sign of asparagus. So it surprised me. It was lovely warm conditions and I thought it would be sort of poke its nose out of the ground but it's not oh. so but I would say you know it won't be long we'll be soon having asparagus on the shop floor lovely Thank I love you. coming here and picking fruit I can't well, wait even all the storms we get well I don't know I'm going to give it nervous next time now. we come up in the summer it'll be snowing <laughs> I'm getting a bit scared every time I turn up. <laughs> I'm getting scared I'm when you get. turn up. I am. It's, it's not just you. Maybe next time there'll be this amazing heat wave. But it is a great place here. It's a beautiful spot. And it's been lovely catching up with you, Paul. Thanks very much for talking to me. No, thank you, Claire. Nice to see you again. Peapod bloopers. Now, Claire and I have wandered out into the physic garden. And uh, they've already been doing the no-mo-may, which obviously looks... Looks a bit longer than May that they've um, not been cutting the grass for. And it is full of ideal pollinator. <laughs> David Gallagher. <laughs> well, what we can see here is some nice grass. The P stands for Petersfield. I like going to the open air swimming pool and shopping. <laughs> the Peapod. PECAN is Petersfield's environmental conservation organisation working to make our town and the surrounding area carbon neutral with nature. With an interest in local clean energy, energy efficiency, biodiversity, education, advocacy and sustainable living, there are many options available to us and Greg from PECAN joins us now. Hi Greg. Now Hi. you're a representative of PECAN here. Can you tell us what PECAN does please? Yes, we're a community group. We're a climate action network as the, as the name implies and our job is to help the community to decarbonise as quickly as possible and uh, our area of focus is Petersfield and the surrounding villages and also protect nature. Now how long has PECAN been going for? About a year and a half. We set up during the lockdown and we were registered in December 2020. And it really grew out of uh, all of these discussions around about uh, what we can do about climate change before then. And uh, so everything took place over Zoom during those months. And uh, it's, uh, it's just grown and grown. 
was going to say, how, and how's the response been to Pecan in our area? Well, it's, um, it's growing steadily. We've got about 500 people on our mailing list uh, so far. And we've got a, a few volunteers who are very active. And we're, we're lucky to have uh, about 10 trustees uh, who are very skilled. And we've got a small staff uh, who are very, very capable as well. But we really need more people. There's so much stuff that we want to do. We've got this long list of projects from uh, fruit trees to helping people renovate their houses, uh, educating people, uh, organising social functions, going into talk with councils and schools. Um, there's so much that can be done. And of course, it all depends on having people with time and enthusiasm who want to do it. So if anybody who's listening to this is interested in getting stuck in, come and talk to us and uh, we've probably got a, a fun project for you. <laughs> now, this is the first ever Petersfield Eco Fair. Was this something that you always wanted to do at PECAN, to get everyone together to, to talk about things that people can do, well, to talk about climate action and what we can do? We've been very inspired by some of the other climate action networks that are around. There's one in ACAN, in Alton, sorry, called ACAN, which has been around for a while and they're very successful. Uh, we've taken some inspiration from them and there are other community groups, but there wasn't really anything in Petersfield. And, um, I mean, the, the journey is quite interesting because we, we were all meeting in the pub as uh, originally um, uh, as sort of climate activists wondering oh why isn't more being done and wringing our hands and why isn't the government doing more and then we thought okay let's it's time for action so that's what PECAN is about it's an action network and, and we want to we want to see more people involved and we want to help people on their journey because not everybody is born a climate activist you know in my own case probably five years ago I was busy flying all over the place and living in a house with a big gas boiler and driving my one of my two petrol cars and generally doing all the things we're not supposed to do. But over time you read about it and you, you watch TV programmes and, and sort of go along that curve and, uh, and start to realise bit by bit you can chip away at, uh, at, one, at your own carbon footprint. And I think if we can help other people to do the same, then we'll be doing our job. I think that's the thing, isn't it? You've just said it. it it's almost too big to try and make those changes all at once. It feels like we all want to do something, but how do we start? And, and some of it's quite expensive to do as well. So what sort of, what suggestions have you got that people could do just to begin their, their journey to be a bit more eco-friendly? Yeah, that's a great question. The, uh, we, we're running um, a campaign called the One Ton Campaign. And if you have a look at the PCAN website, which is petersfieldcan.org, then there's a One Ton Challenge uh, heading on, on the menu and a few tips in there about things that people can do. So starting with the, the big goal which is to halve our, car, our carbon emissions by 2030 from a 2019 baseline. Each family, if each family just cuts one tonne a year from their current activities, by 2030 we'll be on track. So the next question is, okay, what's a tonne of carbon? How do I cut that up? And um, it's actually not as hard as you think. So there are things, for example, that you might be doing anyway. Uh, and the you know, next time your car needs to be replaced, get a low emission vehicle um, or a bicycle or an e-bike and uh, maybe uh, drive a bit less petrol. That will save a tonne or more. And uh, next time the boiler conks out, then uh, you can replace it with a heat pump and that will save more than a tonne, maybe two tonnes or more, depending on your house. Uh, there are things such as uh, with your diet, uh, if you just by moving on to uh, a meat-free diet for two or three days a week uh, would uh, save uh, a tonne from the average household, as well as making people healthier. So there are lots of things of that sort, and buying a bit less brand new stuff that often goes straight into 
landfill, you know, that feeling you get uh, a few days after Christmas and you look around and go, oh my goodness, what have we done? Um, actually, being a bit more conscious about that and engaging in um, uh, the uh, reuse economy, uh, we run, for example, a Christmas present exchange every Christmas and we've got a toy exchange coming up quite soon. Um, if people are interested to swap toys from their children, they can do that rather than buying new ones and the old ones being thrown into landfill. So it's lots of small changes and they add up. And I think that the key message is not to be overwhelmed by it. It's a big change, but we, we do it bit by bit. And we're not alone. Everybody's involved. There's a load of support networks and we'll, we'll get there. Sounds very good advice. Thank you so much. It's been great to talk to you. And just, just lastly, what are you hoping that the eco-fair is going to give to the people of Petersfield? I hope that after this eco-fair there'll be enough people who've visited and felt inspired by what they've seen that they'll go home and they'll talk a little bit about what they've seen and what they've learned with their friends and their neighbours. Uh, they'll maybe make one or two small changes. I hope a couple of people will come and join us as volunteers and lead some projects. We've got some really fun stuff to, that we'd like to, to develop. Um, and uh, the other thing, actually that really needs to be mentioned is that the councils in our area, the parish councils, the town council, the district council and the county council are now much more engaged on climate change than they were before and they need to see that people care about it and I think seeing this turnout, seeing how many stalls there are here and how much enthusiasm and you know, the best thing of all is hearing the councillors, some of whom a couple of years ago were frankly poo-pooing all of this, are now on the same journey that I've been on and the rest of us have been on and we need the councils on board because this is not something that individuals can do on their own. It's not just about uh, a bit of education and a bit of individual behaviour change and the market will take care of it. We need government, we need local government, we need national government and we need individuals, everybody pulling in the same direction and, and that's starting to happen. So I hope that there'll be a lasting uh, footprint, if you like, from this eco-fair on the local government. Greg, lovely to talk to you. Thank, Thank you, you very much. The P stands for Petersfield. I can't believe that we live in such a idyllic place. The Peapod. And that's it for this week's last summer holiday Peapod. Thank you for joining us. Thanks also to Elizabeth Everly, Paul Abbott, Greg Ford and Susie Wilde, as well as to the Shine Radio team who support the show and help to put it together. We'll be back in September with new Peapods for you to listen to. In the meantime, please get in touch if you'd like to say hi or if you'd like us to cover an event. We're on 01730 for a call or a WhatsApp or you can email team at shineradio.uk. We end this week's Peapod with music from local choir SOS from the kids and their recent single, Roots. So from Joff and I this week, bye! bye. Underground, where the life giving wells are found as you go about your day. May we find our roots, our interlaced.
When you listen to Petersfield's Shine Radio, the children of Sheet Primary School will keep you on time. It's 16 minutes to 7. It's quarter past 5. Through the day, every day, their young voices keep Petersfield running like clockwork. It's 27 minutes to 12. It's half past 6. Shine Time is sponsored by Pickets and Purses for the timeless beauty of new and vintage jewellery in Petersfield. It's 29 minutes to 3. Shine Time, only from Petersfield's Shine Radio. 